your host, Harmony Patton, aka the Paleo Ballerina. And if you want to heal your skin from the inside out, you've come to the right place. This is Glow From Within Podcast. Oh my God, you guys. I am so, so excited for this episode today. If you have tuned in in the past, you know I have uh, done an interview on fluoride before, but today I have the author of the book, The Hidden Cause of Acne, Melissa Gallico here, and I am just so excited for you to hear this content. Melissa is actually a former FBI agent, which I think is so super cool. So clearly her investigative skills are on point and she brings that to the table when she researched for her book and this information is just so awesome. Okay guys, go ahead and tune in and I hope you like the episode. All right. Welcome, Melissa. I'm so glad to have you on today. So let's go ahead and jump right in. If you wouldn't mind sharing with us just a little bit about your story, how you went from being an FBI agent to an acne author. Sure. Well, I never planned on it. It was not my chosen career path, but um, I just I studied abroad um, in undergrad and also in grad school. And then with my job, I traveled a lot internationally and I lived in several places overseas, Africa, Europe, and the Caribbean. And um, finally, after you know two decades of this lifestyle, I, I realized that my skin was completely clear when I lived in certain countries. And then I'd come back to the United States and within days, I would have really bad cystic acne again. So my, my chronic acne just followed me wherever I went in the States. If I lived you know, on the East Coast, if I Florida, Rhode Island, Virginia. Um, but for some reason, when I lived in Senegal or Scotland or um, the Caribbean, it went away. And finally, I, I, I was able to narrow it down to the water. And I thought, um, initially, I thought maybe it's lead or maybe it's something in the pipes, like copper piping or... Um, and then one day um, I was talking to my sister-in-law about this and she's a, a physician and I had a glass of water in my hand and I just thought maybe it's from drinking fluoride. I knew that topical applications of fluoride can cause acne. There's a lot of reports in the literature of people who would get breakouts from toothpaste or things like that. But I had never seen anything that said if you ingest fluoride, it would cause acne. It didn't seem like a huge leap for me to think, well, if it can cause a topically maybe also um, consuming fluoride can cause acne as well. So I developed this theory that fluoride was causing my acne and I started testing it out. And the more fluoride I eliminated from my diet, my skin started to clear up. And, it, and it's really difficult to figure out how to eliminate fluoride from your diet because it's not just in water. It's also a very common pesticide used in certain crops. So it took me a while to figure it out. I would say about a year and I was able to completely heal my acne just by avoiding fluoride. So no matter where I lived, even if I was in the States in a heavily fluoridated city, I was able to have clear skin. And I started writing about it online, just sharing my experience, you know, through blogging and things like that. And I heard from a lot of other people who noticed they had this condition too. So I wrote a free guide, just a PDF file that I had on the internet for how, you know, if you have this weird condition, here's how to heal it. And I heard from so many people um, that were able to clear their skin just by avoiding fluoride. And one woman sent me an email and she said, your book saved my life. I never would have figured this out. So I thought I really need to turn this into like an actual 
actual book, not a little free PDF guide. Right. So I did an ebook and I put it on Amazon, just kind of self-published it. And I thought, okay, now it's on Amazon. Now people will be able to find it. And again, I just heard from so many people, people who had had acne for 30 years and, you know, did all the dermatologists, you know, prescriptions and things and were finally able to heal it by avoiding fluoride. So that turned into an actual book with an actual publisher. And so that that's the, the long story of how I went from, you know, FBI analyst to um, writing a book about acne. It's, I mean, honestly, like, I just think it's amazing, you know, <laughs> because there's, I mean, yeah, there's so much. And I know, I know it's, you know, not quite that simple. Obviously, you dealt with acne for years and years and all of that. But just to kind of even come to the conclusion of like, hey, maybe it's from what I'm drinking. Maybe it's because I'm drinking fluoride as opposed to, you know, just because I have only ever really thought about fluoride. Yeah, in terms of like the toothpaste and the topical stuff, kind of like you mentioned. So that's something I always had done with my clients, you know, making sure that we stop using regular toothpaste and, you know, switch to like a tooth powder and whatever. But I mean, I never would have even thought about all of the other ways that fluoride is just literally all around us. So I wouldn't have figured it out either. It's when I lived in Scotland, which was the last place I lived overseas and my skin was completely clear, I started becoming more health conscious there. Mm-hmm. And that's when I switched to a natural toothpaste. I stopped drinking tea. You know, I switched to herbal teas. So I had gotten rid of a lot of the fluoride that I was being exposed to without really knowing it was connected to my acne. And then when I moved back to Florida and I had really bad skin right away, I was already, you know, had eliminated those sources of fluoride in the toothpaste and the tea. And I think that really helped me isolate, you know, that it was in the water and the other parts of my diet. So I was just kind of, I got really lucky there with the timing (laughs) and with the experiences of living abroad in these different places and then coming back to the United States. I think if I was just here, I never would have thought of that. I never would have been able to kind of look beyond and see that there was something causing my acne. I probably would have thought it was genetic or something and I wouldn't right. have even looked for the cure. Right, because I mean, and I think, you know, as teenagers and stuff, it's always just like, oh yeah, it's normal, whatever, you get breakouts, blah, 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 puberty. <laughs> but, you know, I, <laughs> it's just so not about that. I was in my 30s, my mid 30s when it was like the worst. So right, I right. Was well beyond <laughs> Fade. Exactly. So exactly. So, you know, and it's it's so interesting that because I lived overseas as well, but I think where I lived overseas also, you know, I was still definitely being exposed to fluoride. You know, we use Teflon pans and um, just I mean, I haven't really researched the water. I was living in Korea and that's actually where my acne started when I lived there. Um, but I guess my next question really is just how did we kind of get to this point where fluoride is everywhere? You know, it's like in everything, it's on everything. It's like, how did we get to this point? Yeah, I don't think people realize how much fluoride has infiltrated the food supply. And the first thing, obviously, is because it's added to the water. Mm -hmm. Um, So anything made fluoridated water is likely to have that fluoride in it as well. And sometimes it even concentrates during the manufacturing process, like with 
cereal. You wouldn't think that cereal contains water, but just the way it's processed, a lot of the, uh, the moisture from the water evaporates and you're left with concentrated fluoride. So that's mm. why cereal has been measured to contain really high amounts of fluoride. And of course, things like pasta or rice or mashed potatoes or any kind of processed food that, that um, contains water. And then the other big factor is fluoride is a pesticide. And because of all of the great literature on fluoride and because people seem to have this very positive image of fluoride, we're not really very concerned with monitoring the use of this pesticide. The EPA will, they do set um, a residue tolerance, so a limit of how much fluoride can be found on food, but they're not responsible for enforcing that residue tolerance. So the FDA and the USDA, they're the ones that actually monitor and enforce the, the residue tolerances that EPA, EPA um, establishes, and they don't test for fluoride. Mm. So what good is having this residue tolerance if you're not actually enforcing it? So right. some foods will be very high in fluoride, and I think it's kind of just like like one of them is raisins. So I, I remark in the book, it's like playing raisin roulette. Like most of the time <laughs> you're probably going to be okay, but you never know when a raisin grower will have put too much fluoride on their raisins and um, and they can be very, very high in fluoride. Right, because it's not like every single raisin is being tested for the amount of fluoride on them. They're they're hardly testing them at all. And when they do test, they don't test for fluoride, which yep. is one of the most common, it is the most common pesticide used on raisin crops. So it's really crazy that they're not testing for it. Ugh. And so as far as, you know, organic produce and organic raisins, things like that go, obviously there still is, you know, a certain amount of organic pesticides used now would fluoride be considered an organic type of pesticide or will you not find fluoride typically on organic produce? So as far as I know, they, they did apply to be considered, you know, to be approved under the organic label, mm -hmm. but I didn't see any evidence that that was ever accepted. And I've written to all these organic raisin manufacturers and they've all said that they don't use um, cryolite, which is the name of the main fluoride-based pesticide used on raisin crops. So you should be safe by eating organic um, grapes and raisins and other, other produce as well. Um, but I have seen it some places in the literature, like California Department of Pesticide Regulation, there was some document that said, oh yeah, fluoride is allowed on organic crops. And I called them and I said, why, why are you saying this? Was it approved? You know, is it a state regulation or mm -hmm. what is this? And, and they eventually, you know, passed me around through se several offices and then they told me it was a typo. So I'm not really, gotcha. <laughs> Um, I don't have a lot of confidence in that, but, you know, I, I think for the most part, you're okay with organic produce. <laughs> they type out a whole sentence. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Interesting. Yeah, it's a little nerve-wracking. Yeah, right? Mm. Well, I mean, in the end, there's only so much that you can do, though, right? Like, we can all only just do our best to trust. Right. <laughs> Right. And raisins is an extreme case. Like I, I go into it a lot in the book, but I actually have an article that's even much longer, the case of raisins and dogs, like raisin toxicosis mm -hmm. in dogs. So my whole theory is that fluoride is what is actually causing poisoning from raisins. And I traced it all back in this article that I posted on Medium that is just way too long, but I wanted <laughs> to get all the evidence out there of why I think that fluoride is 
poisoning dogs all over the world and that it's been doing it for decades um, through raisin poisoning. So it's kind of an extreme case with raisins. I don't eat organic raisins just because I've done so much research on them and I don't really care for them anyway. But but most other produce, um, you're okay, even even conventional, they, they don't use it that much on, on most other crops. It's really raisins and grapes um, and things like poultry. So when chickens eat feed that's covered in fluoride, they it, they accumulate that fluoride in their bones, just like with humans, fluoride will accumulate in your bones over time. So poultry products that contain the bone are, are very high in fluoride. So when they, um, a lot of poultry products are made from mechanically deboned meat, mm-hmm. and that bone will end up in the finished product. So, chicken nuggets, chicken lunch meat, turkey lunch meat, things like that can be very high in fluoride um, if they're not strictly raised um, to organic standards. So, right. that's another thing um, besides raisins and grapes, definitely keep an eye out for de- mechanically deboned poultry products or even like roast chicken roasted on the bone. Right. Um, if it's not really organic fluoride. Yeah. And the other thing that's interesting about that, you know, is everyone's all into making bone broth these days. So it's like if you're using a conventional chicken, you're using their bones and cooking the bones down in probably fluorinated water. It's just like a big old bowl of fluoride. Yes, it's really it's really a shame because it is so healthy to have chicken broth. And I have no problem eating chicken broth that's organic. Um, I didn't think I could for a while because I, I tried it and I, I was getting breakouts, but I think maybe that particular batch either wasn't mm. as organic as I thought. You know, I just got it from the regular grocery store, but it was right. labeled organic. Um, or maybe there's some kind of loophole or maybe the chickens were um, drinking fluoridated water. I don't <laughs> really know where the fluoride came from. But yeah. since then I've tried again and I've, I've been able to drink um, chicken broth without any problem. And I get it from my local farm. And I know it, I know they're, you know, raised right. um, organically. So um, it's it's definitely something I don't want to put people off from eating chicken broth. But if you're not getting organic chickens, um, it's definitely something to consider that the fluoride um, levels could be very high. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, it's that kind of goes for the nutritional value of the chickens anyway, because the nutritional content in a conventionally raised chicken versus, you know, an organically raised chicken is just completely different profiles. So I think the the fluoride aspect is just kind of like one more reason to like if you're getting meat and poultry to get, you know, the best quality that you can. Yes, it's definitely worth the investment for, for poultry especially. Um, and I haven't had any um, reactions from beef products. I don't know if the bone uh, accumulates fluoride at the same rate, but for some reason it's really just um, poultry. And maybe it's because they eat more feed and you have like a lot of grass-fed beef is pretty readily available now and they don't yeah. really use fluoride on, on that at all. So it's not an issue with beef products, but definitely with poultry. Yeah, that would make sense. I mean, plus I would think the thickness of the bones, right? Because chicken bones are kind of thin. So I would think that maybe like the fluoride could um, store up in there more quickly versus a really thick beef bone. I mean, I don't know if that's true, but that's, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) so is there one way or another that you would say fluoride is more or less harmful? For instance, like, is it 
worse to drink fluorinated water or worse to be, you know, using like a fluoride toothpaste? Well, I think <laughs> that's a really good question. Uh, <laughs> I think so. Even dentists who are on the, you know, borderline about approving fluoride will say that the the utility is only topical. So if you're using fluoride for cavity prevention, it really doesn't make sense to drink fluoridated water because the research now is showing that if there is any benefit, it's topically. Mm. So. Really, I think um, cutting out fluoridated water is a good move all around. Um, and then uh, topically, you know, a lot of it is absorbed through the gum still. So if you're breaking out, you know, it's really easy to just try fluoride-free toothpaste and the water, you know, as, right. at the same time and seeing an improvement. I really don't know which is worse, but I guess my if I had to pick one, I would say drinking fluoridated water is worse because it, you know, more readily enters um your digestive system, but I, I really don't know because of how much is absorbed through the gums. I'm not right. sure. <laughs> that's a good yeah, question. No, that's that's really interesting actually to think about the fact that I mean, I guess in both cases the water would be touching your gums too. Anyway. Um yeah. so kind of along the same stroke a little bit. So, you know, if our water and not just the water that we're drinking, but you know, our whole homes, right? We have water flowing into our baths. Uh, we're cooking with water, and all of this water has fluoride in it. So I guess the question is, is because obviously we need to drink water, we need to be hydrated, and we need to clean ourselves with water and cook with it. So if I guess the question that I'm trying to ask is, is it doing more harm than good to drink a bunch of water that has fluoride in it as opposed to maybe not drinking as much with the fluoride? Or, you know, if you're filtering out the fluoride, obviously then the hydration is good for you. I, d- does this make sense where I'm going with this question? I guess it, the real the real question is, is it doing more harm than good to be constantly exposing ourselves to fluorinated water with good intentions? I think it is. I, so for me personally, if I have one glass of fluoridated water, my skin will break out. So I know that my body is not reacting well right. to even just one glass of water. Um, and it's so easy at this point because I've done it for so long for me to figure out non-fluoridated water sources that I don't really, I haven't had to make that choice very often. Like, should I go thirsty or drink that glass of fluoridated water? Right. Um, it, are pretty readily available once you know like which brands um, you can buy if you're you know in a tight spot you just pop into a store and get a a bottled water Um, but I will like if I'm on a flight and I haven't didn't have time to pick up bottled water and I don't have access to it I'll just have some cucumbers or you know go thirsty for a couple hours till I get to my destination so I really avoid fluoridated water just because I don't want to have to deal with um effect on my skin and also because I know that's not the only thing it's affecting it's not just showing up on my skin it also um, fluoride also affects your whole hormonal system you know especially the thyroid gland so that's why I just now that I know how fluoride affects my body I just avoid it even if um, you know I'm at a restaurant and I know the water's fluoridated and I don't have another option I'll just I'll just uh, skip drinking water at that meal yeah no I think that's very important because 
you know, this this whole concept of like hydration and especially hydration for clear skin is kind of like thrown in our faces all day every day. So it's like, oh, well, at least I'm hydrating even though there's some fluoride in it. But I think it's really important for, you know, people to kind of be able to discern like, okay, is this actually going to be more harmful than it is helpful um, you know, by drinking water that has fluoride in it. So that, that was a very helpful answer. Um, <clears throat> so what would you say is the best way to detox from a lifetime of, you know, this? if you're living in America, you've had constant fluoride exposure for your entire life, really. So what what is the best way to maybe even just start the detoxification process with that? There's a lot of ways that people have experimented with it and it took me a few years to figure out what I thought was best Um, and I definitely recommend getting rid of the fluoride in your diet first and clearing up your skin if you're you know if you're having that reaction um, before trying to detoxify it because when fluoride is coming out of your system it's causing those same side effects you know if you're getting too much of it so it can very easily like overwhelm your um, your lymphatic system and and these um, you know elimination processes and and you can end up having side effects of fluoride poisoning. So mm. it's definitely a good idea to figure out um, the fluoride in your diet and clear up your skin. That way, if you're getting side effects, you know that it's because you're detoxifying too quickly and you can cut back. Um, and the number one way that I found to detoxify fluoride is through iodine. They're both halogens, so they're very close to each other um, on the periodic table, very similar chemical composition. Um, But iodine is an essential mineral nutrient. So if we don't have enough of it in our diet, these very predictable side effects develop. And one of them is hypothyroidism, so reduced thyroid function. So so supplementing with iodine, there's this group of doctors, they are known as the iodine doctors, and they have taken the lead on doing clinical testing um, to see how their patients... um, react to increasing amounts of iodine and they've had such positive um, results with it and they recommend several milligrams of iodine a day which is much bigger than the recommended dietary allowance that the government puts out they just recommend about 200 micrograms a day and the iodine Mm. doctors are saying you know 25 to 50 milligrams a day so there's a big discrepancy there and I found when I jumped into their program and I was taking several milligrams of iodine a day, I had a lot of detoxifi- detoxification reactions. So my skin broke mm. out, uh, bloating, digestive problems, just feeling tired. I couldn't handle even four milligrams. It was too much. And my skin was breaking out even when I was supplementing with small you know, kelp tab- topsils. So like 400 micrograms of kelp, I, I still would have a skin reaction. So it took me a long time to figure it out. And I finally found um, a doctor nearby who was able to help me get on board with iodine supplementation. And the key for me was starting with a very, very small dose. It was just one drop of a seaweed supplement that was 20 micrograms of iodine. And that I didn't have any reaction to, which is kind of the same amount I was getting in my diet from different sources, you know, eggs and milk and have certain amounts, you know, small amounts of iodine. So I was able to slowly build up over time, you know, 20 micrograms and then double it. So 40 micrograms. And eventually I build up to um, the capsule. So I was taking one milligram a day and then I doubled that. So it was a really long, slow process, but Mm -hmm. it was totally worth it because I didn't have any negative side effects. 
and I, I started feeling uh, much better. So I, a lot of mental clarity, uh, which is one of the common side effects that people have noticed with um, iodine supplementation. Um, and then also my, my skin was clear through that whole process. So I didn't have to worry about those, those kind of fluoride detox reactions. Yeah, that's great. Uh, how, so I know you said that it was a long process. Do you remember like how long it kind of took for you to keep progressing to the next level? Um, I have it in, um, there's a cheat sheet that goes along with that chapter of the book. So I have it in there, like the timeline that I used. Um, I would say it was several months. Um, I don't remember like the exact how, how long it took me, but I would, um, sometimes I would push it a little too much. You know, I'd double it mm-hmm. and then my skin would break out. So I'd like pull back or I'd take a couple of days off and I'd come back at a smaller dose. So you really have to feel how your body reacts. And some people haven't noticed any reactions at all. So they can just jump right in at 25 milligrams or something wow. and they have no detoxification reaction. So it really depends on your body. Um, but for me, I, I just had to go really slow because I was so sensitive to it. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. So As far as, you know, like big picture and removing fluoride from our systems entirely, because I know it can really, really infiltrate our systems, how long would you say it could potentially take to really kind of rid your body of residual fluoride? I wish I knew. This one, there just needs to be so much more research done. Yeah. Um, the National Academy of Sciences estimates that the half-life for fluoride in bone is 20 years. Whew. So they're just, <laughs> you know, the amount of fluoride that you consume today that's sequestered in your bone, will still half of that will still be there 20 years from now. Wow. So, of course, there are a lot of other factors involved, you know, iodine and, your, you know, other nutritional um, mm-hmm. components that you're getting in your diet and things like that. But it's just, it remains in your body for so long. And I know that there are things we can do to speed that up, but there's hardly any research. You know, the iodine doctors are really the first ones to examine this in a clinical way. Um, So we're just so far from really understanding that. Um, I've been trying for a few years now to eliminate fluoride with iodine, and I'm still sensitive if I'm exposed to fluoride. So at this point, I'm either it's a sensitivity that my body is never going to outlearn or maybe there's still so much fluoride in my bones and teeth that I'm that I'm just reacting in that way. I'm not really sure which it which it is. Right, right. So interesting. It's really just so interesting. <laughs> um so I love that in your book you talk about storytelling and the fact that when certain information is missing, we kind of subconsciously fill in those gaps. Uh, could you talk a little bit about how that has affected our current climate, so to speak, within the world of acne? You know, the oh, topical treatments and dermatologists and all of that. So there was a study, I think it was Johns Hopkins, University did a study um, in the early 2000s looking back at the acne research from the second half of the 20th century, and they found that over 99% of the studies failed to mention diet, <laughs> like let alone studies. They're just talking about they didn't even mention diet. It was right. all about topical treatments and pills and um, pharmaceuticals and things like that. So we're just, it's diet hasn't been on our radar because who's funding these studies? You know, there's no money in funding a study about how diet affects <laughs> acne, you know, unless right. you're 
you know, the, the paleo movement has been able to make some progress in that direction because there are people willing to sponsor a study about, you know, how paleo diet affects um, acne. So like the meat industry of Australia, for example, has mm-hmm. sponsored some of those studies. So yeah. There has been progress and we're looking at diet a little bit more, but nobody's looked at fluoride. It's just so under the radar. It's so insidious in the food supply. It's not on labels um, and you just don't see it. So that's why in the book I was trying to show, like I use that example of um, the gorilla playing basketball. Yeah. <laughs> there's like a famous yes. study where you, you, you can, I won't ruin it, but there's a video. And you can I'll, I'll put a it link like, to it. I'll put a link to it because <laughs> okay. I did it and I, I failed miserably oh good (laughs) good you're supposed to (laughs) yeah yeah so I I wanted people to see like now that you know fluoride is a possibility that it can cause acne then you go back and you look at like your history your personal history and you think oh my skin was really bad when I lived in this place and now it starts to make sense that why certain random foods like rice and raisins or you know people have these really random foods that caught that they think causes their acne and once you know to look for fluoride um you you can you you can see things that you weren't able to see before yeah yeah it's so great um so when you did have acne and again i know this was a process over years so i'm sure it kind of showed up in different places different areas but i'm just kind of curious you know how your acne typically manifested on your face especially when you were overseas and your skin was clear and then, you know, you moved back and experienced the breakouts. Like, was it on your cheeks, temples, forehead? Was it really big cystic acne on the chin? Like, kind of how did that, how did your acne manifest itself? Well, usually I would, I would have really deep cystic welts, um, especially along my jawline, my chin, um, around the, the, you know, the laugh lines, like the folds of my mouth, that Mm -hmm. area. And they would, I could feel them like two weeks before you could even see them. You know, like really tender, really like, like little BBs under your skin. They're just really painful. And then it would take like another two weeks to come to the surface and it was just be so tender but I also eventually would get them on my forehead you know all over my face um even a lot of them were down the sides of my neck like the front and back of my neck onto Mm. my chest and my back and when it was really bad I would even feel them inside my ears like little tender bumps inside my earlobe so it was just really all over um my face and you know my head and down down my body (laughs) it was yeah really unpleasant yeah, I mean, I've been there. I've definitely had. Yeah. I've had acne in all of the places, so uh, yeah. I, I can relate to that. Um, so let's see. I just, I guess when it comes to, you know, fluoride and acne, and as you know, we've done an episode on this before, so Amy had kind of talked about you know, why it is that fluoride causes this reaction in our bodies that then equals acne. So, I mean, I don't need you to go super duper into detail, but if you could even just speak a little bit to that, you know, why it is that fluoride, which seems like such a random thing, right? Why it is that that is affecting so many people in this way and manifesting itself in acne. 
well, I'm not a, you know, scientist in the lab. And I think that's what we need to do to figure out the exact mechanism that's happening. But just from what I've gathered through research for the book, um, fluoride is a fat soluble substance. So it's being digested differently. Um, and the lymphatic system plays a big role in how fat is digested. So I think what's happening is that basically it's like causing a congestion in the lymphatic circulation. And it makes sense because fluoride, like I said, it accumulates in your bone. So it makes sense that you would get fluoride around your the jawline, you know, and around the chin, which is where a lot of women um, tend to get adult acne uh, because there's such high fluoride concentrations um, in, in the jaw and in the teeth, especially if you were exposed to fluoride when your teeth were forming in your early years. So um, my theory is that the lymphatic system is getting congested with that fluoride, and that's why it's trying to eliminate it through the pores. You know, our acne is actually a defense mechanism trying to protect us from too much fluoride in the body and just sending it out through the pores instead of, um, you know, the normal elimination channels. So that's my theory. Um, of course, we would need to test that to see exactly what is going on, like how is fluoride being digested? How is it making its way through circulation? But I think just because of the way um, the lymphatic system digests fats, um, that, it, that it's playing a key role here in how our body handles fluoride. Yeah, no, I think that's so interesting. Um, so how long ago did you kind of start doing all this research and then end up writing your book? Well, I first started suspecting fluoride was causing my acne in 2008, I think, or 2009, somewhere around there. And so it took me about a year or two to really figure it out and clear up my skin and, and finally, you know, figure out like, yes, this is definitely what is going on with my skin. And then um, I wrote the PDF, I think in 2011 or 2012 and just put it online. And then two years later, I think maybe 2015 is when I did the self-published book. And then the actual book just came out um, this year. So it's been a long, a long process. Um, and I've been researching through that whole time, you know, trying to mm -hmm. figure out um, you know, initially how I was being exposed. And then once I sat down to write the book, looking at all of the acne research and seeing where fluoride fit in. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, I think that's really important too, you know, kind of fitting it into where things have been and where the research is. Um, so since it has kind of, and I know you said you've been researching throughout this whole time, um, but since it's kind of been a few years since you've written the book and, you know, when you initially even put out that PDF and all of that, do you have any like updates or things that have changed since you've published the book or since you put out your initial information? Um, not too much because we did modify it when we published the version you know, the final version that came out in May. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest update there was, um, so when you're supplementing with iodine, there's this iodine loading test that will measure the amount of body that, or the amount of fluoride that your body is excreting through urine. Um, so originally I had written in the book that my fluoride levels were always really low. Like the first time I took it, he said, these are the lowest fluoride levels I've ever <laughs> seen, which made sense. I was trying to avoid fluoride so much, mm -hmm. um, but the iodine is supposed to displace fluoride. So I, you know, was getting these detox reactions, but it wasn't showing up in my test. And then I, I kind of thought, well, maybe the test, um, 
it's only 24 hours and I was getting the skin reactions like two days later. So maybe it wasn't measuring the fluoride. I didn't really know what was happening. But since I wrote the book, uh, I retook the test. I've done it like once a year for the last few years and my fluoride levels had tripled. (laughs) So (laughs) I really don't know what's going on with that. I, I think part of it is that the tests just don't measure everything. Mm. Like, um, or the Medical College of Georgia put out a press release showing that that specific kind of fluoride testing doesn't measure for fluoride that's bound with aluminum, which a lot of fluoride tends to bind with aluminum. So they were saying like actual fluoride levels are much higher than what you would get from that test. So maybe my body was excreting fluoride with aluminum first and then now it moved on to other kinds of fluoride. I I don't really know. It's kind (laughs) of like one of those things where you're like, huh, that's really interesting. What's going on? I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So are you still doing like an iodine supplementation type of thing? Are you still working with those doctors or are you just kind of supplementing on your own now? I'm still doing the the same amount that I was under the iodine protocol. And I had cut it back um, for a while. I was like, oh, maybe I'll just do half, you know, and kind of taper off. But I just felt better doing the full amount. So I'm still taking um, 50 milligrams a day, which um, Dr. Brownstein, David Brownstein, reads a really good book about iodine. It's called Iodine, um, Why You Need It, Why You Can't Live Without It. Um, so that's what he recommends in his book. And there's a lot of people that will even take more than that. But I found that 50 milligrams um, works for me. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I'm still doing. Awesome. So has your fluoride journey kind of evolved at all since? And I mean, I know the book was published, you know, very, very recently. What? A couple months ago, right? At this point, because it's July. So right yeah, yeah, yeah. So would you say that, you know, your journey with fluoride has evolved at all since you originally wrote the book or, you know, are you kind of in about the same place? I'm pretty much in the same place, still avoiding it. I, I had, you know, written in the book, like, I hope that by supplementing with iodine, I could eventually detoxify fluoride to the point where I'm not sensitive to it Mm -hmm. anymore, but I am still sensitive to it. Um, so I, I don't really know if, if that's possible. I don't know. Maybe it just takes several years or maybe your body will always be sensitive to it. I'm not really sure. Um, but that's, I guess, where I'm at right now is just trying to avoid fluoride as much as possible, get a lot of nutrients that help my body detoxify, um, you know, things like probiotics and, um, and just getting a lot of antioxidants in my diet in general. Um, so I, I don't know if I'll ever get to the point where if I drank a glass of fluoridated water, I, I wouldn't react to it. I'm not mm. sure if that's possible or, you know, how to, how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of our bodies are so different also. So, you know, even, you know, for one person might be super duper sensitive to fluoride, whereas, of course, you know, there are people out there that I'm sure have fluoride all day long and they have no acne. So. Right. And I think it really is. It depends on when you were exposed and how much you were exposed to it. Those are two really big factors because when I was a kid, we had well water and we didn't have a lot of fluoride in our water. And so the dentist prescribed fluoride pills. So I took those fluoride pills not knowing, you know, my parents didn't know um, that there was a possibility that I could develop a sensitivity to it. And at the time, I remember I started getting really bad nosebleeds. 
And my parents were like, what is going on? You know, and they never put it together with the pills. Yeah. But now looking back, I, I know that nosebleeds are an indicator of fluoride toxicity. Um, also, my teeth came in with dental fluorosis, which is a type of modeling of the teeth, like a, a discoloration of the teeth. And my parents asked my doctor and he didn't mention fluoride. And it's well known that dental fluorosis is caused by fluoride. Wow. And now almost half adolescents are said or um, are shown to have dental fluorosis, which is a sign of fluoride toxicity. So it's very common now that people are getting too much fluoride during those formative years. And I think that's why the rates of acne just continue to go up and up because mm -hmm. we have we have more fluoride in our bodies and we're going to have a lot more people that um, develop side effects from it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, for a lot of people, the idea of avoiding fluoride, it's almost like just such a huge thing and it can feel really like big and daunting. So could you just kind of describe a day in your life of avoiding fluoride, like what you might eat and kind of just how you would go about avoiding fluoride through your day. Yeah. So for me, I've been doing it so long. It seems natural. Right. People are like, oh, it's so hard. I, I forget what it was like when it was really hard originally. Yeah. But I think the first thing is to cut out any fluoride in your dental products. That's really easy. And, and a lot of people see a reaction just from that. So there's a chance that could be causing your acne 100% and it'll mm -hmm. go away, which would be great. I just heard from a woman on Instagram who had that exact reaction. And within a week, she didn't have any breakouts. And then a month, her skin looked amazing. So yeah. that's a great place to start. And then finding out if there's fluoride in your water is the next step. So you're, you want something ideally that's under 0.1 parts per million. The natural level of fluoride in most surface water sources is 0.05. So that's what we want to stay at for our drinking water. Um, some wells will have naturally high amounts of water, but it's usually like deep water wells where they're surrounded by like fluoride-based rocks. Mm. So most wells, um, you, you know, you want to you want to find a water source that's under 0.1 part per million. And maybe that means buying bottled water for a month or two just to see how your skin reacts. I know we don't like buying bottled water now, but it just as, you know, for science <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to yeah. do an experiment and see how your skin reacts um, is a good thing. Or you could look up your local water quality report from your town and they're required to, to test every year to see what the fluoride level is and to tell you what, what that number is. So if you have a number that's under 0.1, that's great. Um, if the number is 0.7, which is what um, the dentists recommend, um, that is definitely enough to cause um, to cause skin reactions. So, figuring out what the fluoride is in your water and getting a good source that you know is um, is very low in fluoride. Those are the two biggest things. And then um, the other things like the pesticides. Uh, the, the, I have a cheat sheet for this. You know, it's just one page of a list of all the common sources of fluoride that you might run into. So, if you are making your own chicken broth or eating chicken broth and it's not organic. Uh, maybe cut that out for a month and see if your skin reacts. Um, we mentioned uh, raisins and grape juice and even wine um, from California because that's where the fluoride-based pesticides are used. So cutting those out, you know, you can get wine pretty much anywhere else, even Washington State <laughs> or Oregon. Those wines are fine. They don't use um, fluoride-based pesticides there on their, on their uh, vineyards. So um, just making sure that you're not drinking um, wine from California 
and it's really just one part of California that they use it, but you know, for, for, for this trial phase, maybe just cut out wine from California and, um, grape juice or anything made with grape juice. Um, and then cereal. So those, those were, were the big ones. Um, and so for me, for breakfast, I like to have eggs with vegetables. You know, every now and then I'll have some bacon <laughs> with my eggs. Um, I like to have yogurt with fruit um, or sometimes um, grains. I don't know if I know you're paleo. So <laughs> like I'll make like buckwheat or yeah. quinoa or something. And if I have it left over from dinner, I like to have it with fruit in the morning as like my breakfast. I like smoothies for breakfast. So there's tons of things you can add to smoothies um, and don't really have to worry about fluoride with that Um, and then for lunch and dinner they're usually very similar for me I'll have some kind of protein Um, so chicken or um, you know I love seafood Um, really beef pork any of that is going to be low in fluoride Um, especially like we said with chicken getting making sure it's organic but if I I just like to have wild caught and grass fed and pastured, like I'm always looking for those like buzzwords on Mm -hmm. my labels Uh, and uh, lots of vegetables and I make greens at home. So if you're, if you like to have beans in your diet, you know, maybe buy the dried beans. So you're adding your own water and making them at home instead of buying them in a can. Um, So there's, you don't really have to give up much. You just have to learn like which things have fluoride and how to make it or how to buy it without fluoride. Even things like beer, you know, if you're drinking beer from the U.S., it's probably going to have fluoride in it because it's probably made in a city with fluoride unless you know that it's from somewhere that's not fluoridated. But um, you can still have beer, just choose something like from Belgium. (laughs) You know, I love Belgian beer, so this isn't a problem for me. I'll just order something (laughs) that's actually brewed in Belgium. And you know it's going to be low in fluoride and it's going to be delicious. So so I haven't really had to give up much to have a low fluoride diet. It's just really a matter of figuring out where the fluoride in that product comes from and then getting an alternative that is low in fluoride. Yeah. Interesting. So have you noticed with yourself like any other types of sensitivities outside of, you know, foods that could potentially have fluoride? Like have you noticed any flares with gluten or sugar or uh, dairy, anything like that? I haven't. For me, it's 100% fluoride. I can have dairy. I can go off dairy. It doesn't make any difference on my skin. I've eaten weed. I've gone off weed. You know, this was like when I was experimenting. Didn't notice any difference. Um, So I, my skin doesn't react to that. But growing up, I was sensitive to everything. I was always allergic to detergents and all kinds of like chemical sensitivities, like things that I didn't even no, like razors, you know, with those little moisture strips, I would, I would develop an allergy to that or a deodorant. Um, so I was very chemically sensitive. And I think that probably has something to do with my body was just really overloaded. Um, and I was reacting to like all kinds of chemical exposures. Yeah, I think that's so, so interesting. So in theory, you know, say, because for me, you know, I have definitely sensitivities to certain types of dairy and gluten. And especially when I was pregnant, I was really sensitive to gluten. If I accidentally got exposed, I would feel sick for days. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I just find it very interesting. So, like, in theory, if we were to eliminate fluoride from the diet and, you know, just like really do a good job of not having it in there, do you think that? 
the other sensitivities could potentially clear up or even yet like chemical topical sensitivities, things like that. I, I think your body will change, you know, once you get rid of a major allergen or, you know, like you get rid of that one major thing that your body is not agreeing with. Um, and I think that will affect how you're exposed to other chemicals. I don't, I, I've just in general, will try to get better as I've learned more about natural healthcare and natural beauty products. I've tried to cut so much out of, of that out of my life. So I don't really have, um, I can't say if I'm still allergic, if I, I, if I'm still, you know, as sensitive to these chemicals as I used to be when I was a kid, because I'm just not exposed to them anymore. Right. And I, I like it that way. You know, I like all these natural products. There's so many amazing like skincare products that mm-hmm. aren't full of toxins. So, um, I, I think that with dairy, it's just, there's so many low quality dairy products, like pretty much anything you buy at a regular grocery store is going to be ultra pasteurized or it's going to be, um, like when you look at the definition for low fat milk, like what goes into that, it's not even milk. It's just so Uh, highly processed and really not healthy at all. So I think a lot of the problem with dairy is just that we're eating such low quality dairy. And if we went back to just, you know, a farm where these cows are out on pasture eating grass, you know, right. like raised the way that cows are supposed to be raised. And then you're just drinking the dairy, like as it comes from the cow and it's really fresh and it's really healthy. Um, I think that's so much different than buying low fat milk, ultra pasteurized from the grocery store. Um, right, right. So I, I think that's a big problem with dairy. And I talk about that in the book, like, dairy is such a it's such an interesting thing because the studies on acne have actually found that it's only low fat dairy that's correlated with acne and i put out a theory that i think it's because of the powdered milk products that they put in low fat dairy mm, yeah um, because when a lot of times when you powder um a milk product there's a lot of fluoride if it's if if um, fluoridated water is used in that process it's kind of similar to cereal where it will concentrate the fluoride levels so i'm thinking maybe that's why low fat dairy products are correlated with acne maybe it's because of the fluoride level i don't know for sure there's a lot of testing that they'd have to do but that was just a theory that i put out there yeah Um, i don't drink a lot of milk but i will eat yogurt and i buy like the best quality yogurt i can find and i look at i think the cornucopia institute does like this huge analysis of all (laughs) the different kinds of yogurt so i always try to get like their number one brand so um i think when it comes to dairy like quality is really important yeah yeah that totally makes sense and i mean kind of you know, to what you were saying, I think when it comes down to, you know, even if you eliminate fluoride from your diet and your skin gets clearer, ultimately, you know, if you're feeding your body with crap, it's, that's what the response you're going to get, right? So even if you eliminate fluoride, like the, the quality of foods that you're eating is still important. And it seems that in order to eliminate fluoride, it's, it's almost like the same thing, right? So I think probably a lot of people that switch to a more paleoish diet are unknowingly not being ex- ex- exposed as often to fluoride, right? Right, yeah. And I go through that in the book because this paleo study is about acne are really interesting because they show that when you go on a paleo diet, the acne decreases, they're really, they really never get rid of acne altogether. Like right. it's still there, but they just show like, look, the acne went 
got better when they went on the paleo diet. So I went through all of their, you know, diets that they used in the control group and in, and in the study and point out like this different sources of fluoride. So the, the paleo diet is lower in fluoride because they're not eating pasta and they're not eating rice and they're not having the same like ready-made fruit drinks and mm-hmm. things like that. So um, I think a lot, and I've seen, I've seen this too, where people will write a blog post about how they cured their acne. And one of the things in there is, oh, I, I bought a water filter, you know, <laughs> and it's listed right. amongst like 20 other things. And I'm like, oh, there it is. Like, I wonder if that's what it, so I think right. a lot of people will look back and realize like, oh, actually, I think I had that fluoride sensitivity too. And I cured it without even knowing just by, right. you know, trying to get healthy overall. Right. And yeah, for, for me, actually, it's it's kind of awful. I still use a Brita filter. I'm still in the process of trying to figure out which which filtration system I want to get. But uh, so I still get exposed to fluoride. But for me, even just switching the the oral stuff, you know, switching to the tooth powder and then switching my pans, I think making those two changes made a huge difference because I can also tolerate you know and for quite a while I've been able to very easily tolerate like goat's milk and you know goat's milk cheese and all kinds of things like that without having to worry about breakouts or you know anything that people would typically suspect of dairy consumption nice yeah yeah Yeah, and it is so hard to find a filter because the general like carbon filters don't work for fluoride so you really have to get something like you know, the reverse osmosis or a distillation. And then you've got, like, if you're renting, it's hard to install those. Um, so they do have some countertop models, um, but it is a challenge to find, um, you know, to, to get a water filter, get it installed, and then, you know, get used to using it and changing right. out the filter regularly and things like that. But yeah, yeah, but it, it, it's worth it. Definitely. And um, to that effect, like, what is your favorite water filter or you know obviously there's reverse reverse osmosis there's filters like berkey um but you know what is what is your favorite way to eliminate fluoride from your water uh, well fortunately we moved to a house that in a neighborhood that isn't fluoridated so wow. i just have like a you know a regular like it's it's still a good you know triple stage carbon filter like it removes a lot of things but i don't have to worry about fluoride which is really nice here um I usually recommend reverse osmosis. I don't have a particular brand or anything that I tell people to buy um, just because it's so effective at reducing fluoride. Um, distillation, some people prefer that, uh, but you know they do, it removes all of the minerals. So you need to make sure you're getting a lot of minerals in your mm-hmm. diet and some people add them back into the water. Um, and then the big Berkey has a specific fluoride filter that will remove fluoride. And a lot of people like that. I've seen some reviews on Amazon when you're looking at um, the big Berkey reviews. A lot of people said that they tested fluoride and they were not happy with how much was removed. Mm, um, but I'm not, I'm not really sure. I don't want to disparage um, the company because they, they seem to think it's really effective. Um, I know there's someone on Instagram who, who just bought a test and she's going to test it out and see um, how, it, how it works for her. Interesting. I think if you are using Big Murphy to remove fluoride, you definitely have to replace the filter. I think it's every six months. So whatever their recommended schedule is because it will remove less fluoride over time. Yeah. So um, 
So it is, it is an option. It's a countertop option and it's really, it's really pretty. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. People like it, but I usually recommend the the reverse osmosis if you're very sensitive to fluoride. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so as far as buying, you know, bottled water and obviously there's all kinds of other issues with bottled water as we kind of touched on very briefly earlier, you know, there's the plastic and, uh, the, also the pH of the water, you know, there's all these things with, with buying water plus the plastic bottles anyway. But, uh, you know, if one was to do that temporarily, you know, just to buy water in order to avoid the fluoride for a while, do you have any specific brands that you'd recommend or, uh, I guess how, how do we know that that water doesn't have fluoride in it? The best way to find out is just contact the manufacturer because they're all required to have those water quality reports. And you can usually find them online if you just Google like Deer Park water quality report. You know, you can usually find it and fluoride will be on there. So again, just look for anything under 0.1. And that's a good option. Like Deer Park does the home delivery service. So you could subscribe to that for a few months if you're not ready to get a filter or if you're renting and it's really hard to have the filter installed. You could have water delivered and that, you know, you're not buying plastic bottles every week and and lugging them home from the grocery store. Um, But there are a lot of brands that you can get like smart water. They just, they use distillation. So that removes any fluoride that would have been in the water. And then they add essential minerals back in. So that's one that I'll get um, at the airport. You know, once I get through security and they Mm -hmm. took all my (laughs) water, water, um, I'll buy that from if they have it at one of the stores. So, um, but there's a lot of brands that are low in, in fluoride that you can get at the store. Okay, wonderful. So uh, last few questions here. How do you dine out? Or is that just kind of like a, a calculated risk that you take occasionally? It's tricky. I, I've gotten so good at it that um, I don't have a problem with it. But I definitely make sure I know beforehand if the restaurant is fluoridated or not. So I mentioned that my neighborhood isn't fluoridated, which is great because there's a lot of restaurants I can go nearby. And if I have a sushi craving, I can eat rice and not worry that it was made with fluoridated water. Yeah. Um, but if it is the fluoridated restaurant, I just order accordingly. Um, so I don't want to get pasta or rice dishes. Um, and I'll just order something like grilled or sauteed. Um, and then if they're serving it with mashed potatoes, I'll ask for like a baked potato or, or something. Mm. If the vegetables are steamed, I'll ask if there's like a sauteed alternative. Um, so it's just, you know, making sure that I ask these questions. Um, the one that tripped me up um, in the beginning was like chicken stock. If you mm. go to a nice restaurant, they, they put it in a lot of different things. Like yeah. I even ordered um, like a fish dish and they had made it with chicken stock. So I learned to like ask about that, you know, does this dish have chicken stock in it? Especially if I'm ordering soup, you know, I'll, I'll make sure that it doesn't have chicken stock. So, um, and then with water, I usually will order like a glass of wine instead. So I don't have to drink the tap water. If yeah. I know that, you know, it's a fluoridated restaurant. Um, that's if a I'm nice really alternative. Sneak in. What's that? So that's a nice alternative, wine instead of water. Yeah, yeah, right? And I'm like, oh, I can do it with a glass of wine. <laughs> so, um, 
So there's a lot of options. Pretty much any restaurant, there's a lot of options that are low in fluoride. Salads are usually really good, really safe choice um, for being low in fluoride. So it's just looking out for those few dishes like the mashed potatoes or the pasta um, that would have fluoride in them. Interesting. That I mean, that makes sense. It's just kind of putting the the pieces together, right? Like, oh yeah, the potatoes would have been boiled. And yeah, just little things like that that I think probably take a little while to think of but once you've got it down it's like easy peasy I would imagine yeah exactly exactly Uh, one thing I we haven't mentioned and I want to throw it out there because I I know a lot of health conscious people are drinking kombucha yeah and I just heard from a woman she was drinking like three glasses a day and she didn't realize that tea is so high in fluoride and it was causing her skin um, to break out so much so I think that's something like just to be mindful of if you think you might be sensitive to fluoride, maybe cut out the kombucha for, for a little while because yeah. um, tea is just one of those rare plants that takes up fluoride directly from the soil. So even if it's organic tea, if it was in a, a region that had fluoride in the soil, which it's, it's a very common element in the earth's crust, um, that tea will be high in fluoride. So it's just something to keep in mind. I never even thought of that. That is so, that's so interesting. Yeah, it's, it's really sad. And it is. Told me that um, they, they had like a, an allergist and she would always test people for um, sensitivities to different food. And she said she never found anybody who didn't have a sensitivity to, to kombucha. And she's wow. like, oh, maybe this is why because of the fluoride. She just said everyone is sensitive to kombucha. So wow. I just think, I mean, I don't really love it that much, so I don't drink it at all. But if you really like it, maybe cut it out for a month just to see if that's what could be causing. That is so, so interesting. I I used to brew my own kombucha. And yeah, I have like an organic white tea. Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay, I never even thought of that. All right, so uh, I know know that... um, you know, the, the topical stuff didn't really play into healing your skin, but I am curious what your topical routine looks like now. Well, I love trying different skincare products. So like I still use a lot of um, fun products. Like lately I've been ordering from Living Libations. Have you heard of them? I haven't actually. Um, her name is Nadine Artemis and she she uses a lot of essential oils and it's mm. just everything is, is really like fragrant and she does a lot of like oil cleansing products, which I love um, and everything like just smells so amazing. So lately that's what I've been using. Um, I have this um, probiotic beauty bar that I like, like when I really want to just kind of make my skin feel like refreshed. I I like to use that. Um, I forget the name. It's like Dr. something Japanese name. Okay. (laughs) Um, But I think if like probiotic beauty bar, you'd probably find it. I don't know how many of them. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure we can find it and link to it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. So I like that. Um, and then the the line from Living Libations is called Best Skin Ever, and they have like a sea buckthorn one that I'm using right now. Um, and then I, I love ozonated oils. Ooh, so I yes. usually have a few of those that I keep in my fridge, and it's just like jojoba oil infused with ozone, so it's like uh, thicker. And um, and I first time I used one of those, I noticed like a difference in my skin. It just felt like it looked it looked so so pretty. I could tell yeah. right away that it was having a a good effect. So I, I like to use those pretty regularly. That's so great. Yeah, I've been neglecting since, you know, since my skin has been like clear, I've really been neglecting doing anything to it whatsoever. 
And uh, I feel like it's just starting to be a little bit sad. My skin is like, give me something. That's what I did did when I wrote the book. I was like, I don't have time to wash my face. Right. I was not doing anything. I don't do anything. I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't breaking out and it was fine, but I just like, it just feels like, I don't know, it's so nice when you're like rubbing these fragrant oils yeah. into your skin, you know? Yeah. So and I feel like your skin appreciates it. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You got to nourish it. Okay. So I have some yes. rapid fire questions and then we will wrap it up here because we are coming up on time. So, okay. okay. Just tell me the first thing that comes to your mind with these uh, first one is favorite food to eat in a pinch. Oh, guacamole. Mmm, yummy. <laughs> yeah, love it. Okay, favorite way to boost your mood? Fish oil. Okay. <laughs> All right. I found that, like, for some my body really responds to, like, if I take a fish oil supplement. It's like, I feel like it's like liquid sunshine. Like, I respond more to that than, I'm in Florida, so I'm out, like, by the pool all the time, right. but I feel like if I take that fish oil, it, I really feel a difference. That's amazing. That's so awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would have never thought of that. That's so great. This is why I ask these questions. All right. Uh, favorite I book? something more fun, but, like, shopping. <laughs> no, 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 no. Book. Oh, so hard. Favorite book? Um, I... When I before I wrote my book, I read. Um, I didn't really know if I could write a book, you know. So right. I read a book called Insoling Language, and it was written by like my favorite herbalist, Stephen Harrod Buner. He writes a lot of books about plants. Like he wrote a book called Plant Intelligence and the Imaginal Realm. So he's a really interesting nonfiction writer. So his book Insoling Language is about how to write nonfiction, and I read that, and it it's it's kind of a magical book. Like it teaches you how to find this golden thread in the story and then like pull on that thread to Mm. weave this like really interesting story. So I felt like that book really changed my life because I had never written a book. I didn't know if I could write a book, but it kind of gave me a roadmap for how to write a book. And so I wrote my book and I sent it to him like, I'm sure you have a shelf somewhere of books that your book inspired, (laughs) you know? So here, please add this to your shelf. And to my surprise, he read it, and he ended up writing the foreword for it when it was officially published. So um, his book really inspired me to be a writer. So I I love that. And and his other books are really good, too. Like, The Plant Intelligence is, like, you have to read that one. It's so good. He writes a book about beer that's really popular. And he writes – one of his books is about Lyme disease. I think that's his number one. um, Yeah. You know, his his best-selling book. But he's, he's great. I remember him referencing that in, yeah, in the foreword of your book. That's so, that's so interesting. I'm going to have to read that book. Okay, last, <laughs> last one here. And this is a would you rather. So would you rather drink celery juice or an apple cider vinegar shot for your skin? Oh, <laughs> um, I'm going with celery juice because I've seen that a lot on Instagram lately and I've been wanting to try it. And yeah. I've already tried apple cider vinegar. So I'm going to, I would like to explore celery juice. Yeah, I've, I've heard, honestly, like I've heard a lot of really great things about it. I haven't really dabbled in it all that much, but I've heard great things. So yeah. that that is it for today. We are out of time, but could you please tell everyone where they can find you? 
Yeah, so my website is hiddencauseofacne.com, and that give you some resources from the book. Um, I'm on Instagram, Melissa Gallico. I'm kind of new there, so I'd love any new friends on Instagram. And then if you want to join me in trying to end fluoridation, because I don't want to, um, you know, get people all riled up and not give them something to be able to do about it. So I started a petition. It's at petition.projectfree.me. And it will reroute you to the petition. It's actually posted at change.org. And it's just petitioning um, the Senate subcommittee for drinking water to stop recommending fluoride to the addition of to the addition of fluoride to public water supplies. Because I think if we can get the federal government to stop recommending it and just leave it up to everybody else to decide if they want it or not, a lot of our towns would stop adding it to the water supply. So they would save money and we'd all be a little bit healthier by not getting um this um, exposure to fluoride. And we didn't even talk about it today, but there's a lot of studies about the neurotoxic effects of fluoride on the developing brain, which is something that the National Toxicology Program is just starting to look into. So the health effects of fluoride go a lot deeper than acne. Um, Acne is just really how I got my intro into um, fluoride. And so that's why I wrote this book about that. But but there's a lot more to the story, to the story of fluoride. So um, if you're interested in signing the petition, it's at petition.projectfree.me. And I link to a lot of the studies um, in the petition as well. So if you want to research it more, there's a lot of good um, studies there. Yeah, that's so great. I've, I've already signed the petition. Uh, and awesome. yes, <laughs> yeah. And I absolutely love your book. And I just want to say thank you for coming on the podcast today, sharing your information. Also for, you know, even just taking the time to have done all of this research and you know to have put out a book that you definitely didn't have to do that you know you could have just found this and been like okay great my skin is clear I'm good but I always just find it so amazing and admirable when people like you you know take take it to the next step and share that information with people and you know just try to help others to achieve what they have as well so thank you for the work that you do thank you for being on the podcast today and yeah that is it for us today i hope everyone goes definitely read her book uh read melissa's book it's amazing hidden cause of acne we will put links to all of this in the show notes and as usual y'all know where to find me you can always find me over at www.thepaleoballerina.com also if you want to work with me one-on-one to clear your acne finally get control over your skin, not have to hide behind your makeup every day, then I do still have a couple more spots for one-on-one clients for the month of July here in 2018. So head over to my website. I'll put links to this in the show notes. Of course, you can always connect with me over on social media. I am on Instagram as well as on Facebook as The Paleo Ballerina. I love you guys so much. Thank you so much for being here. Over and out.